Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. For those of you Irish and others who celebrate it, I hope you're having a great day. A little bit of what's coming up on the show. Uh, For our inbox, we have a woman who's interested in trying out dating but feels like doing so would hurt her relationship with her parents. So what should she do to navigate that situation? Well, one of our counselors is going to share some insights on uh, how to go about that. And then for our culture segment, our friends Joshua Rogers and Suzanne Goslin are back to answer questions from a live audience about guy and girl friendship. So stay tuned for that one coming up. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and today we are going to talk about getting out of debt in creative ways. Now, you didn't think you could be creative in dealing with debt, but you can when you have our fun panel helping you out. And so we have got Bailey, Jay, and Doug here. Hey, y'all. Hey. Okay, good to have you. So um, a little bit of, well, let's let's maybe talk about this because um, I'm going to give a, a brief um, intro of each of you, and then you're going to have to... Uh, expound on that because Doug is just cheap. Okay. Um, he, he calls himself, he's been known as the cheap jerk uh, here a long time at focus. He can find ways to find money everywhere. Okay. So we're going to talk about that. Jay actually has bona fide financial experience and uh, background. Uh, you deal in the tax world, especially Jay, but um, longtime accountant and working with the numbers and all that. And Bailey, our resident Gen Zer here in the mix, in yep. that sense, has found creative ways to really save money, especially coming off of school debt and other things going on in your life. Um, so we'll make sure we avail ourselves of of what you have to say as well. So. Let's first of all, like, let's talk about what some of the big debt traps are, first of all. So I think, you know, if we're talking to people who now are finishing college or are out of college, I think, you know, to your point, Bailey, school debt is a big one. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know, when we talk about debt, it's not just like someone buys 12 Starbucks a day and they're just foolish about everything. I mean, there's some legitimate debt <laughs> things here. Sure. Um, I feel like school debt is a big one mm-hmm. going into the thousands, tens of thousands of dollars for, for a lot of students. Um, what are some of the others that you've kind of encountered or seen people struggle with? Well, some of it could be medical. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if people have um, issues or different you know, health conditions are working through mm-hmm. that can cause uh, some additional expenses uh, in day to day life. Yeah. Well, especially, I mean, another great point to that, Jay, is people who are uninsured or underinsured and they mm-hmm. can just get in a spiral with that. That's very hard, especially for young adults who um, have been furloughed post COVID, don't aren't in a corporate workforce that has insurance. That's a good point. Yeah, my parents would talk to my sisters and I about, like, mistakes they made when they first got married, such as, like, whenever they saw a new car that they liked, they would trade in their old car instead of waiting for it to be paid off or um, buying something that they knew wasn't in their budget and just using a credit card. So they really warned us about stuff like that. Um, So I've seen people do that, too. Like, I've been trying to, like, really take care of my car and, like, stuff that I have so that I can use that money that I would I mean could use for a new car towards something else yeah I think that's such a good point because I think people underestimate um when it comes to 
big purchases or, you know, traps along delayed gratification and an unwillingness to do that. So cars would be a big one. Technology I see as a big one with 20 somethings like there. I mean, I have legitimate like 20 something friends who cannot go for a week without upgrading their phone if a new version comes out, you know, and it's just like, nope, I got to have the latest and greatest. So um, I think that can be tricky. Yeah. And I think another trap too is thinking of your finances in terms of what it, what you can afford in a given month. Mm. And you see car commercials really take advantage of that, you know, so much down and so much a month. And it's like, they never talk about the price of the, the total price of the car. But mm-hmm. right now there's so many things that are subscription-based, like you, all the online, uh, all the TV subscriptions, you're going to mm-hmm. have Hulu and Netflix and Peacock and, you know, just the endless list of things. And you think, oh, yeah, I can afford that. I can afford a Spotify. And those things are can be good, but you, you, you can, they all sound affordable until you add them all up. And so you can kind of get into a, a situation where your cash flow isn't really going to afford all that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So what would you say, I mean, are, do you have any experiences with ways that you really saw whether you were deeply in debt or just kind of in debt or just wanted a different standard of living or whatever, that you pinpointed something that you're like, I, this is something that I can really go after. This is something that I need to, to tackle or want to tackle in order to kind of move the needle in a good direction. I was talking to a friend about this the other day and, um, we were talking about different strategies of how to, you know, like cut your expenses or maybe like Doug was saying, you know, looking at subscriptions, everything's based on a payment. What payment can you afford? But um, he, he raised the issue of, you know, like maybe treating it like a food allergy, the idea of, okay, there's too much happening here. Things are conflicting. I got too many payments, not enough paycheck. So why don't I start cutting things out? Maybe cut out two or three things and say, okay, can I live without that? Or how do I feel if I, you know, if I go back to the basic Spotify instead of the paid Spotify, or if I, if I, do I need Amazon and Netflix and Hulu mm-hmm. and HBO? Can I cut two or three of those out? Which one's going to work best? Do I need, can I get movies from the library? Can I, you know, check out books or different things? So, you know, that idea of, uh, cut things out and then say, okay, now how's my life? Am I noticing a difference? You know, like a few years ago we cut the cord for cable mm-hmm. and I bought a pair of bunny ears to put on TV so I can get broadcast and doesn't make a difference. I don't really miss half, you know, three quarters of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a few things we've done differently, but, uh, you know, that idea of cutting it out and seeing if you miss it, maybe you won't even miss it. Yeah. And then, and then you got a few extra dollars to pay down something else. Yeah. I want to actually, now that you mentioned it, Jay, I want to pause and do a PSA for the library because I am that person that gets movies from the library. Totally like you can get new releases there. But even more than that, did you guys know that you can now get like museum passes at the library? You can get like passes to attractions in your city and stuff that normally people are like dropping 25 or 30 bucks for. They each have an allotment of passes to go places. So it's like, don't forget your local library, y'all. It's not just forgetting, you know... (laughs) textbooks that you should have gotten and purchased and didn't, you know. That's well, a great cheap jerk tip. There. I know. I'm just saying that's like a freebie that. for you, Doug. Well, so yeah, like get that. ready. to. And there's a lot, you know, you can, if you have a Kindle, you can get a lot of books mm-hmm. free mm-hmm. from the library. And then the great thing is you don't have a fee when you, because at the end of your 21 days, it goes back to the library automatically. Mm-hmm. You can get a lot of audio books from the library. Um, and there's even services like Canopy 
which are like a streaming service that does older movies and and uh, classic films, and you can get a membership to that through the library. Okay, let's so. um let's kind of pause, do a, a sidestep here to talk to the person who's like. Okay, guys, but you don't understand me. I'm not talking about child's play here. I'm talking about like I have maxed two credit cards. I have got some serious debt that I will not, short of taking three jobs and doing, there's, there are people out there that think they will never get out from under the amount of debt that they have. And if they compound that with a car and student loans and everything, they're just like, I'm, it's hopeless. So what are some, what would be your best strategies for really going after um, hardcore debt problems that people might have. What would you say are first steps? And, you know, Jay, let's start with you because you, I know that you've taught like financial peace. I mean, you've walked through some strategies where people go after debt in big ways. The biggest thing I'd say is, is just to um, go after it a little bit at a time mm-hmm. because like, you know, if, if you owed, you know, thirty forty thousand dollars $40,000 in student loans, you're not going to do that in a day right. or even a month. They, there's two different ways to go about it. But the biggest thing is to make a list of your debts first. Mm. You can organize them uh, smallest balance to largest and pay them off that, you know, make your minimum payments for all of those things. And then pay your, if you have a little extra, pay it off on the smallest one. That's what that, they call the debt snowball. Mm-hmm. The idea being that then you can retire a small debt and then you can retire the next smallest debt and you can see that momentum building. Mm-hmm. You know, some people will say, let's arrange my interest rate and pay off the highest interest rate ones first. Mm-hmm. You know, that they call that the debt avalanche. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're similar ideas. But, the, you know, if once you start moving down the hill and start getting the, some of it paid off, you'll start to see that progress. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's the idea of uh, it's easy to get into debt. It's kind of kind of like it's easy to gain weight. Mm-hmm. It's hard to lose weight. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get out of debt. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it, you know, but it it just takes work and discipline. And like with the snowball method, you start to see the smaller debts get paid off. Mm-hmm. It'll boost your confidence that you can actually do this. You'll start to to work harder toward it, and maybe you know that'll give you the motivation. Like I said, to look at your at your expenses, your streaming plans, your coffee clubs, your whatever, and mm-hmm. and say, okay, I don't need this because I can pay off this debt. Yeah. So there's a there's another guy that uh, used to work with Ramsey that always said, paying off debt is like giving yourself a raise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's good. We'd all love to be good get a raise. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Doug, what what about you? What would be your first bit of advice for someone really going after something? Well, you know, Lisa, over the years, how I got that that nickname, the cheap jerk, is that I always had a tip for just finding a few nickels out of every purchase that you make. And, you know, and I could get really nitty gritty and we could, you know, (laughs) Uh dedicate several shows to all the tips that there are. But but really what's behind that is just really making good decisions and understanding um, the benefits that you're going to get out of all the purchases that you're going to make. And the idea of this is to free up money to pay down that debt because mm-hmm. um, you don't want to have a complete deprivation mindset where you're just not even living anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But but really understanding the psychology and the, the relationship you're going to have with that the products that you're purchasing, even the necessities like the grocery store, just really understanding uh, a couple of economic principles we could get into. And one of them is um, 
is the idea of of um, opportunity cost. So everything that you you purchase is gonna you know you can't spend it twice. So so you know if you can save a little bit of money on something, that may be an opportunity to pay down a little bit more debt. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's that's one idea. And then the other idea is the idea of diminishing returns. And and I really think about that with kind of going back to those streaming TV subscriptions where. You know, you can have you, you almost feel like you need them all if you want to catch all these shows and everything. But but you only have 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. And and so you have to really decide, like, do I really need all of these or, you know, what am I really benefiting from? And and if you purchase a car like, oh, it'd be great if it had heated seats. Mm-hmm. But do you need to spend an extra thousand for that? And if you can just the idea is to pay down those big that huge amount of debt that you're talking about mm-hmm. is just to think, I want to reward myself. I want to pay myself first. I want to give myself a raise, like Jay said. But I got to eke out dollars out of my current spending to make that happen. And so so really thinking about um, carefully about those decisions that you're making every time you're spending money and have opportunities to save. Yeah, money. that's so. great. And Bailey, I want to get over to you here because I think you have a, a great strategy and have tried a strategy um, that a lot of people don't think of in paying down money. But just before I forget to say it, I've found that in friends that I've talked to, one of the biggest things that they can adjust in their life to take out a big chunk of debt is their living situation. Many 20-somethings are so committed to having their own place or being in a, you know somewhere super nice or whatever, having a lot of bells and whistles, like being in a place that has a pool and a clubhouse and whatever. And it's like, if you have debt, be willing to take a roommate, be willing to rent a room from someone, be willing to, you can do that so much more cheaply and save so much money in a small amount of time. I have seen it work for so many people. And so that's just a great way to say, I mean, again, because you either have to save money or you have to make money. Those are the only two <laughs> two ways that you're going to go after this. And so that's, I've just found to be a big chunk of that. Um, but Bailey, you have found people often forget that you can make money and help tackle debt that way. So talk about what you've done. Yeah, so I'm one of the people who needs advice in this area. So thank you guys, because coming out of college, college debt and everything. Um, but I kind of had a moment after realizing how much entry-level jobs pay and how much rent is and how much my student loans were going to be and everything, where I just kind of panicked and was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? So I just really started trying to find ways that I could make money um, without like taking on an extra job because I knew I didn't have time for that. And I don't think a lot of people realize that you can use your passions to make money. Mm -hmm. Um, So I make money um, with my blog and on Instagram with social media. Mm -hmm. So I get sent clothes from um, a few brands and I wear them and take pictures in them and post it. And if people buy through that link, then I get money. And it actually, it's like passive income. Mm-hmm. It's so fun, like planning the posts. <laughs> it's so fun it's so wearing savvy. the well, clothes. Yeah. yeah. And then um, and then while you're sleeping, you're making money, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. It's really fun. So you can do pretty much anything. You can watch movies and write reviews and make money. You can read books and write reviews. Um, a lot of girls love Pinterest. You can post stuff on Pinterest, do affiliate links and make money that way. Mm-hmm. You can pretty much 
grab whatever you love and figure out a way to make money through it. It is work, but it's really fun and it is pretty passive once you get it rolling. Yeah, that's so great. Another thing that a lot of people do, and and I do this as well, and and you can do it by deciding that like one aspect of your budget is going to come from this, for example. So like a friend and I, we build our vacation budget out of selling stuff that we already have. So we're like, we're, we're aspiring minimalists. We keep saying, how do we end up with all this stuff sitting around our places? What are we doing? And so we're like, okay, we want to go to, you know, XYZ. We want to go to Great Britain or we want to go <laughs> to Florida for a beach vacation or something. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to sell clothing. We're going to sell electronics that we don't use. We're going to sell all this stuff that we have, just random stuff that's sitting around that you can easily through, whether it's eBay or Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, just unload, save yourself and make the money off of it. Save yourself the upkeep of it, which is also a hidden cost that a lot of people don't think of. And so it's just a great way. And it becomes kind of a game. Like, what else can I find? Like, why did I spend 300 Fifty dollars on a leather jacket that I wear like two weeks out of the year, if that. Nope, it's going because two hundred fifty bucks is going to get me, you know, whatever in this, mm-hmm. you know, vacation that I want. So yeah, yeah that's just another idea. But that's a great idea. Anyway, so um, well, let's go ahead in the in the few minutes we have remaining. Like, what would you say? Uh, I want to ask two things. One, any other tips that we would have missed that people should think of as they're trying to pay down debt or save, and then two. What are just some general habits? I mean, maybe someone isn't like a total train wreck or whatever, but they're just like, I can't seem to get ahead or it just seems like, you know, uh, post-COVID, the economy such a mess or whatever. What would be some good habits for people to think through? You know, and again, we're not talking about like being like your grandma and just not living life or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. But to to live a normal life, to to have fun, to do things, but just to be wise about watching where your money's going. What would you guys suggest? Well, to answer your first question about mm-hmm. just like little things you can do to save money. Um, so Pinterest, again, going back to that mm-hmm. social media app, you can look up all kinds of recipes on there. And a lot of them, you can, it'll be like, five or six ingredients or Mm -hmm. whatever. So you can like do some of those recipes that don't require you to buy a lot of food, but give you a lot of leftovers. So then instead of like buying lunch at work, you can just bring it and have a lunchbox. And that saves money too, because Mm -hmm. it can get so expensive eating out or having to buy food at the grocery store all the time. And for the second part, I would consider myself a spender. I do like to spend, but I don't let myself go over a certain amount every month, so I, like, set a limit for myself, and if you can, like, set that limit and stick to it, then that keeps you from just, like, going crazy and blowing all of your money. That's great. Uh, yeah, I really like what Bailey said about brown bagging it. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you have leftovers at home or even just throw a couple extra things together for lunch, you're going to save a lot of money by eating. And then she also talked about uh, the lessons her parents were teaching her reminded me of uh, an old phrase, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of, I think, came out of the depression era about that idea that, hey, what do we have and how long can we make it last? You know, the idea of changing the oil in your car so your car lasts longer, mm-hmm. you know, those preventive maintenance things so that things are useful. You know, maybe even when you're buying stuff, by looking for a little better quality. Mm-hmm. So that you're, you know, you know, you're going to have it for a while. Uh, If you're not so, you know, 
maybe against Bailey's uh, clothing habit, but <laughs> if, if you're if you're going to stick more to the uh, to the conservative or traditional clothing styles, something that'll that'll last for a long time, you you know you can really stretch your clothing budget that way if you're not so trendy in that. Yeah, that's good. You know, one thing Bailey said is she's a spender, but she tries to make sure she doesn't spend more than a certain amount a month. And really the ultimate form of that is a budget. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's never an exciting topic, but <laughs> it's so important because um, especially if you're paying down debt, I think, did you say pay yourself first? You know, there's this idea yeah. of, you know, there's this idea of that can be part of your budget. You know, I'm going to pay down debt and I'm going to make that something that's structured in the cash flow of, you know, that I have in, in a given month. And it also ensures that you have budget for all your necessities, that food and uh, mm -hmm. shelter and that you're, you're making all your payments, but you're living within your means um, and that enables you to... And if it's structured, you can pay down the debt and be very intentional about it. Yeah. So I like the idea of keeping track, but you, you really you can take that to that next level and and you know ensure that you're you're truly are paying down the debt and meeting the goals that you have to do that. So well, and yeah. and a budget, like Doug said, can be a dirty word, but it's really a prioritization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, he said earlier, you can't spend a dollar more than once. Yeah. So what's most important to me? You know, I got to pay for housing. I got to get to work, transportation. Mm -hmm. I got to have shelter. Mm -hmm. I, I got to have clothing. And then everything else is, is secondary. So then what what can be could be rearranged? Yeah, that's good. It's interesting because I, I think to myself something that's really helped me. And it sounds like, for example, because we didn't touch on um, giving like to your church, tithing or whatever. That for me, this sounds super unspiritual, but that for me just um, comes out in an automatic debit. For me, it's very that and savings. Like, so I would say anyone, for example, first of all, if your employer offers a match on your retirement, you need to just avail yourself of that because just fill out the paperwork. That's really dumb if you're not doing that. Okay, it's 100 so return. That's on your, a, your, your Doug money, will so. say it's 100 return. <laughs> so so get it done, make it happen. But that kind of stuff, the stuff that for me could be kind of perceived as a drag, like savings and whatever. I just make sure it's out of sight, out of mind. I just squirrel that away so I don't have the luxury of looking at it and being like, do I want to put into savings or do I want to do X, Y, Z? It's not even an option for me. It's just going into my savings or going into my um, That's super auto pay to my church yeah. and stuff like that. So that just happens. Don't feel like unspiritual about it or unwise about it. Just make it happen. Cool. Um, the other thing is... Decide, and I've said this before on the show, decide what is important to you and then deprioritize the rest. So for me, I don't care about stuff. I drove, I just got a new car. I drove my other car for 15 years. I don't care about having the latest, greatest, but because I drove my car for 15 years, I was able to save up for a car and pay in cash. Okay, so stuff I don't care about experiences I care about. So I'm going to prioritize a vacation or doing something, an experience that I want to do with friends or join my family for something. So that's my priority, but everything else takes second fiddle. I can't do it all. So what am I going to do and choose to prioritize? So that's just something that comes to mind um, as I go with that. But anyway... 
Oh my goodness, you guys, we are out of time. This is crazy. We always run out of time when we're trying to think through these things. So maybe we'll have to revisit this again and get even more tips. We will find out what in the world Bailey is modeling and making money <laughs> off of because that is just, that's just, that's Doug, why cool. are you not doing that? I know. Yeah, I, know. I know. You need to tap into that, brother. Exactly. Okay. So anyway, um, you guys, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your thoughts on this. I think it's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You make me so mad, I want to throw a stone. You make me so sad, I want to hide away alone. Can you meet me in the middle, where the light don't shine? We don't think the same, no we don't see eye to eye. Folks, here we are for this week's culture segment, which is a continuation of last week. Uh, If you were listening last week, you know that we had a conversation, an awesome conversation on friendship, particularly between men and women. Uh, We have got Joshua Rogers and Suzanne Goslin. They were here last week. They are back this week because we're doing this uh, last week and this week as a Listen app live event. And so um, actually we have got uh, folks who at the time were in our live audience audience digitally and uh, they asked questions or are asking questions, I guess. We're recording this as we speak. And so we're looking forward to seeing what they have to say. And uh, so, yeah, Joshua and Suzanne, welcome back to The Boundless Show. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. All right. Well, you guys know, um, again, if you listened last week, we we referenced both Joshua's and Suzanne's articles on guy-girl friendships, uh, specifically not your buddy and your friend girl deserves better. These are classic Boundless articles. Um, both Joshua and Suzanne, I also want to say uh, they have blogged on this last week and this week. So make sure you check out those posts because they offer some new, fresh thoughts, even on what they were thinking back then, what they would change, what they would say differently, how they would offer nuance to it. So a lot of great insights there. So you'll you'll get more there. But uh, as we begin this portion uh, this week, I want to go ahead and open up the Q&A to our audience who is here online with us and they have the opportunity to raise their hand and ask a question. Uh, it would be fantastic if you do. So plan on doing that. And as we begin, I want to go ahead and Um, read a question and have you guys answer it from someone who uh, came in online and couldn't make it today, but they wanted to get their question in. And so Natalie says, any tips on how to set boundaries in a friendship with two singles who are not interested in each other? So kind of we alluded to that last week of what does a friendship look like, but are there specific boundaries or anything, you know, that you would recommend from your own experience that's helpful in establishing how can we have a friendship but still have appropriate boundaries? That's a great question. I think a big part of that is to see what the friendship is, what place it has in your life, because 
one thing that I found when I was single was sometimes I wasn't really attracted to have a friendship with a man unless I was interested in him. And so it kind of depends on, you know, if it's a coworker or someone you're doing ministry with or something, but you've already decided like, no, we're not going to have a romantic relationship. We're not interested in that. I think you can set up very clear boundaries of that and just having that very public kind of friendship where there's other people around where you're not spending a lot of time together one-on-one so I think time is a great boundary um as I said in the culture segment last week um two hours or less is probably appropriate for someone that you're just a companion friend with and it's not heading toward a dating relationship so just keeping an eye on the time you're spending that's a great boundary Hmm. you know Lisa what I think is a lot of people get in these relationships because they're bored and they don't have the energy or maybe the security to reach out for somebody else. So you work with what you got. I mean, sometimes like it's not necessarily a, a matter of boundaries. It's like a little bit of either laziness or exhaustion. You don't want to put the time in finding other people to hang out with. So you got like this guy or you got this man or this woman they're so attractive, you know, or they're not, but there's somebody who'll hang out with you. And I think that what you have to recognize if you're like, you know what, this isn't kind of what I'm hoping for in this friendship. It's like turning into a friend relationship. Then what you have to do is maybe stop and say, okay, well then maybe I need to find another friend, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, maybe I should make the effort for us to hang out with other people because I need to dilute this. But I think probably in my in the past when I did this, it was because it was convenient and I did not want to put in the time of hanging out with somebody else. Yeah. Okay. One more um, question that I want to make sure I get in from our online folks. Um, And this is great. I I actually want to ask this one because um, both of you are married. So you're going to definitely have some insight uh, specific to this one. Uh, This is Molly. She says, I'm female and single, and my guy friend just got married. Is the friendship over? Yes, it's (laughs) totally over. It's done. Don't even try to call. Um, Like, it's going to die on the vine. Send, like, you know, send the card or whatever you know what but it it is totally over and if so that's the way you know that these weren't like that good of friendships because like when you get married your wife or your husband is not interested in you spending time with somebody you used to be with and they're the opposite sex there are exceptions for me you know when it's worked out is when a former girl that i was friends with marries somebody else and then we hang out with that couple you need that to kind of dilute you two being exclusive friends. Yeah. I have a slightly different take on that because I did have a few male friends when I met Kevin and when we dated and when we got married and uh, they were friends through church and through our improv comedy troupe. And so really it just became like, I would never hang out with them one-on-one, but Kevin and I could hang out with them together. And he was very gracious of sort of adopting some of my friends that I'd had before we got married. And 
we still were able to occasionally do things together. I mean, it wasn't the same anymore. And if you're the one who your friend has married and you are still single, I think you have to leave that ball in their court and just expect that it's totally up to them and their spouse now if they are going to continue that friendship. Yeah. But um, I was going to say, too, um, anything, you know, that you guys would have to offer just around, especially kind of with the increase now, I referenced this before in the digital space uh, around, you know, texting and social media. I just feel like in general, we've gotten way into each other's space. Um, I know, Joshua, you've even taken a, a break from some of this in the past. Um how just how to navigate that in general with maybe getting too uh, intimate via the written word or connection um, with, you know, stuff that you're sharing, maybe about your own spiritual life. Any insights there? You know, I actually read an article. I remember when it was years ago, and it talked about how when we're texting, often we're not actually texting the other person. We're texting ourselves. We're actually watching ourselves in the banter. We're enjoying more the, it's almost like a game that we're playing. And I think that's often true. And it's not about the other person. This is not about listening. You know, good listening, it's reflective. So what you're saying is, you know, and so I think that you have to really ask yourself, is this even communication with with another person or am I just talking to myself? (laughs) That's That's an interesting thought. Um, I was just going to say, obviously, from the time I first wrote that article till now, digital has really taken over. And so a lot of my single friends now that complain about these types of buddy relationships will relate it to, well, he texts me all the time. I get messages from him every day or you know, he'll be texting me in the evening and we'll be texting for a very long time. And so it has, some of it has become digital, which I think just makes it even more confusing because at least if you were going out to dinner together, there's kind of that perception that is this a date or is this not a date? But when you're just texting each other, there's just no way of knowing. Yeah, sure. Great points. Okay. um, We do have Hannah in our audience who has a question. Hannah, go ahead. Hey guys. Hey Suzanne and Joshua. Hey. Um, hey. I feel like a lot of my friends are in the situation of, I don't want to date this guy because we're really good friends and I don't want to ruin the friendship. Um, what would you mm. say to that? You know, I think that if that's where you are, that you don't trust enough that you can be honest about a relationship, then deep inside you also be, should be honest about the fact that maybe it's not as close as you think. Maybe it's not as secure as you think. Hmm. If you're afraid of telling someone the truth, it's an unhealthy relationship. Hmm. Also, I think the idea of a friendship enduring forever, I mean, the idea that this might ruin the friendship if we give this a try, if there's enough potential in that friendship, you should just do it. I remember, uh, so Kevin, my husband, we started out as friends co-leading a Bible study at our church. And I remember when I told my mom, like, I don't know if I can, you know, if I should get involved with him romantically because we're co-leading this Bible study, like all of these people, she's like, don't worry about them. (laughs) Don't worry about, you know, that kind of collateral damage, because if there's potential here, you should investigate that. So that's how I feel about, and maybe going to Joshua's point, if you're feeling like, oh, it's not worth the risk to ruin the friendship, then it's probably not 
a friendship with potential. So that's just a discernment question, I think. Yeah. And I, I wanted to throw something else out there. I think there's this, uh, the thing that one of the things that was, that bothers me about my perspective back then is because it is so one-sided. The truth is ladies, there are men out there who are insecure and they would really love it if you would initiate and there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that. A lot of times guys, they just can't find their voice. Sometimes they're just slightly socially awkward and they just need a woman to be like, Hey, you want to hang out? And so I would, I would just say there's nothing wrong with you initiating. There's like nothing unbiblical about it. It's just takes, and it's, it's a risk. You have to take the same risk that maybe everybody's always expected a guy to take. Yeah. I think it's just like, keep your eyes on it. Because again, I, I totally agree with you, Joshua. I just think it's one of those things like, okay, give him that initial little opportunity, that little segue into, hey, I'm available. I would love for you to ask me out. I would love, you know, maybe mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you out. But then if that perpetuates and six months later, you're still the one initiating everything, you know, then oh. you maybe have to have a little a little combo with them. I was just going to say, too, about the whole, um, you know, I what if it ruins the friendship? I feel like I see that happen in groups a lot where people are like, well, I don't want to date this guy because if I do, it'll mess up the dynamic of our mm. friend group. And I'm kind of like, yeah, why is that so preeminent? You know, it's where I, I see that again. That's a Christian culture uh, thing kind of as well. Mm -hmm. So. All right. Well, I want to get to um, Elaine. Elaine is going to have a question here, um, but I do want to say uh, just a shout out to the guys who are listening in the audience. Um, weigh in here, maybe after Elaine, I'd love for one of you guys to raise your hand about the articles. Like with with what Joshua and Suzanne have said, have those articles offended you? Do you feel like what we're saying, like maybe they were a little hard on the guys or maybe there's an edge uh, to what was being said to the guys? We'd love to get some of your perspectives on that. So raise your hand. Um, but meanwhile, Elaine, go ahead with your question. Hi. Hi, guys. I'm from New Zealand. I just want to say I'm a big fan of Boundless. I've been listening for a few years. Um, my question isn't um, related to relationships specifically, but it's a burning question for you guys because I really respect Boundless. Um, I've been getting to know a guy and it's been going on for about a month. And it, I, I do think he's a great guy, but I haven't caught feelings yet. And I wanted to know, I guess, how long do I keep seeing him before I catch feelings and, and, and wait for those feelings? Great question, mm. Elaine. Yeah. <laughs> I Elaine, I wish I had the script for that. Um, you know, I have just, you've, I've heard so many stories. I, and I was with, within three and a half months, I asked my wife if, uh, ask her dad if, uh, for his permission to marry her. Um, and we told each other, we loved each other like six weeks in. Um, and I don't recommend that for my daughters, but, um, at the same time, I've, there are people I've known who it's just taken a while for the flames to start. So mm -hmm. maybe what I'd say is just take some of the pressure off and see what happens. What do you think, Suzanne? Yeah, I think I've also heard the occasional story. I do have to say, I think feelings by one month in is probably a good sign. If you don't have the feelings, it is a bit of a yellow flag. Um, so, but I have heard those stories where it just changed for somebody. And I think what I would recommend is praying about that and asking God to bring those feelings in if there's potential here. I would not, I have languished in relationships without feelings 
for a while, which my husband thinks is hilarious because we had feelings very early and actually got married within nine months of when we started hanging out and kind of had truly met each other. So he's like, how did you date that person for that many months without the feelings? And I said, it was because I knew that they were a godly person and I felt like that is the type of person that I would want to marry. And I was correct in that, but the feelings just weren't there. And I do wish that I had made the decision sooner to cut that relationship off. So I think I would just pray about it and maybe even kind of give yourself a loose timeline. Like if I don't have feelings by next month, then maybe that's the time to say this just isn't going anywhere. But I would also keep in mind that for thousands of years, like <laughs> marriages have been arranged without feelings being there. And also, I don't know if this is going to be controversial to say this, but like, you know, there's going to come a point when you, the older that you get, that there are going to be fewer options. <laughs> and I'd hate for you to like, look back at when you're 28 and say, was I too picky? Like, could I have found something attractive in that person? And yet, at the same time, I, I never would pursue someone I wasn't attracted to. So I, this may be completely like hypocritical. Maybe I should stop talking. <laughs> well, that's OK. <laughs> I will. We only have a couple minutes left. And so I guess I, I just kind of want to finish out with a question for both of you. Again, capitalizing on your experience as married people. If you were going to sit down with someone who's in our audience, who's single, maybe 20s and 30s, and give them the whole like, here's one thing you need to go after now to really set yourself up for a healthier marriage. Like a lot of people will say, you know, oh, they have their advice of what you need to do, whether it's relationally or with your finances or whatever. But just to clue people in, give them a head start of like, this is going to save you a world of hurt, getting engaged, mm. getting into marriage. What as a single person now can they really be pursuing and, and working hard on? That is such a huge question. <laughs> but I would say, I mean, obviously work on your relationship with the Lord, because that is sowing now what you will reap later in marriage, in parenting, at any stage in your life. And that's something that during my, I would say it was about 10 years that I was single and really wishing not to be single. Um, as I look back on that time, the investments I made in growing closer to the Lord, in plugging in at my church, all of those things have really served me well in marriage. So I guess I would say that is the primary one. It sounds like just the church answer, but it really is true. And then the second would be emotional intelligence. And so I, along the way, I realized I need to start treating all of the men in my life the way that eventually I will treat my husband as far as kindness, respect, um, you know, caring for them, just the biblical principles of how to treat someone of the opposite sex and having the right attitude. And I think that that really has paid off when it was time for me to get married. Yeah. And um, Suzanne, I wouldn't apologize for your answer at all and, and even equivocate with, you know, say, well, I know it's the churchy answer. I mean, I think you're right on. I would just encourage people to just give yourself to Jesus. Just Give it, give it all. Um, and I'm not talking about like getting rid of sin. I'm talking about just, I mean, spiritual formation, find groups of people who are pursuing him, um, pursue him yourself. 
uh, find solid counseling where someone will help you dig up and be like, oh my gosh, I've been carrying this baggage around. Um, but I do, I think there's nothing you can do to prepare yourself for marriage, like being in relationships that are anchored on Christ, but more importantly, every day to be giving yourself to Jesus and looking for him in the ordinary details of life. If you'll do that, you'll find him in areas of your marriage that you never expected. Hmm. Good thoughts. Yeah. And I think just listening to you too, the only thing I would add, not being married, is, um, man, I wish I would have learned a long time ago how to do conflict better, how to speak up, um, how to share my opinion without being accusatory or shaming or um, because I realize more and more now, especially as I've been in more conflicts, walk through more heartache with family and elsewhere. Um, I just want I want everyone to behave the way that I want them to behave. And when they don't, I just flip out. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's like we need to learn how to, to, to give grace, how to get grace uh, and Amen. really and really how to trust God with other people. We're not their yes. Holy Spirit. I mean, my goodness. So, Lisa, let me say one more thing, though. Yes. Do you know what? What? I got married and I didn't have that figured out. I didn't. <laughs> I was not good at conflict. I still struggle with today. I mean, we can bicker about really stupid stuff. Um, and that's something I just have to submit to the Lord, which is why you want to be someone who that's a part of your life. And you want to find somebody because a lot of the junk you deal with and immaturity is not going anywhere rapidly when you tie the knot. And it may take a long, long time. Yeah, for sure. Well, folks, uh, the, the articles that we referenced last week and again this week are Not Your Buddy by Suzanne Gosselin and Your Friend Girl Deserves Better by, by Joshua Rogers, as well as check out their new um, blog posts where they both share fresh thoughts on this topic of friendship uh, going there and beyond and, of course, relationships in general. We always love it when you guys can stop by The Boundless Show. So, Joshua, Suzanne, thanks to our audience as well for being part of this event for listening in. And again, as I said before, remember that in the future, we'll do Listen App events and you can be part of our audience listening in and asking your questions as we do that. So Joshua and Suzanne, thanks again. Thank you for having us on. Thanks, Lisa.
Folks, as we close out the show, we always open up our inbox answering one of your questions. And today we've got, yet again, one of our fantastic counselors in the studio, Elaine. Hey, Elaine. Hey. Great to have you here. Okay, I'm going to read our listener's question and let you take a stab at it. It's good because it talks about family relationships. Our listener says, I'm a single woman in my 30s, working full-time and in grad school. I live with my parents and have never dated at all. Recently, I've been praying about the future and whether that will include marriage. However, I'm conflicted about my family situation. I have a close relationship with both of my parents. Recently, we left our church of 15 years after being hurt and haven't found a new one yet. Between that and dealing with the isolation from the pandemic, my parents are isolated, alone, and don't have a social circle. Is it selfish for me to pursue a dating relationship, even though I know I feel the need to support my parents socially until they get in a better place emotionally? I feel like I'm being irresponsible by trying to change things currently. Well, first of all, I want to commend you for your dedication and your heart for your parents. It's really, really precious. They must have done something right. (laughs) And then a few things to keep in mind. You are not responsible for them. You are not responsible for their happiness or even their well-being. And uh, from what you shared, you haven't indicated anything that would lead me to believe that they're handicapped in any way. They alone are responsible for pursuing others and having community. At your stage in life, your responsibility is to pursue all that God has for you. Your own community and support system, your own career, independence, whether or not that includes marriage, and your own family. You can love and honor your parents, but sounds like it's time to leave and possibly cleave. So keep seeking God and communicating with him about all of this. I think God's got you. And again, bless you. And you're, you're pretty unique in that you are willing to invest in your parents in this way. But go have your own life. Yeah. Good thoughts, Elaine. And it just reminds me of other conversations we've had with other young adults here and and parent relationships. Maybe you uh, pulling away also will inspire your parents to seek community to be, you know, it could be that, you know, you're the wonderful daughter who's a little bit of a crutch to them and they need to find their friends and they need to find support and and be that. um, And you could help be the impetus for that. So Elaine, as always, great thoughts. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. We want to hear from you, write to us at editor at boundless.org, and we will hopefully answer your question in the future. Until then, I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family.